Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. All right, Saints, here's a brief history of Calvinism and John Calvin by Ken Reski. It's a written text here on this post on safeguardyoursoul.com. If you want to read it, absolutely incredible, powerful, and brief. And we're going to look at a little bit of the history of this man called John Calvin. Remember, Jesus said that a cursed root cannot bring forth good fruit. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Many times we call John Calvin the quote-unquote Pope of Geneva. And uh, the five points of Calvinism are form an acrostic, T-U-L-I-P, tulip, the five solas or sola scriptoras, as they call it erroneously, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Calvinism was cursed from the beginning or at the root. Calvinism, friends, is simply another gospel, quote-unquote, Galatians 1, 6 through 9, a false gospel and totally false system of theology spawned from an accursed, demon-possessed wolf who murdered over 60 men and women for disagreeing with his lies. This man's name is John Calvin. And so Ken Reski says one must first study the man, John Calvin, in order to understand the theology that's come to be known or called Calvinism. Uh, Here are some facts, and I'm just going to skip through these. John Calvin was born in 1509 and died in 1564 at age 54. And John Calvin is from France, by the way. And so Ken Risky says Calvin's formal education, by the way, he grew up a Roman Catholic. Calvin's formal education was complete in 1527 when he was 18. According to the Catholics, he drifted from the Roman Catholic faith to become a humanist and a reformer. The sudden conversion, quote unquote, to a spiritual life in 1529 could possibly be interpreted as his becoming saved, but throughout his life he counted on the Roman Catholic infant baptism as the basis of his regeneration. That's very important. So we must ask if this is a fact of history that John Calvin depended on and pointed to his infant baptism, which is definitely unscriptural, as his basis for regeneration. And we if that's the case, then we know that this man was never even saved. And as we're going to find out in a moment, this man bases his teachings on a Roman Catholic monk, I believe it is, or priest, 
named Augustine, who is absolutely another heretic in church history. And that's why, let me interrupt uh, Ken Reske's message here for just a moment, friend. That's why I discourage people from studying church history too much. I don't pay any attention to it. I had to study it in a couple of Bible colleges I went to, and it's a big waste of time. If you see seminarians, some of you listening to me that have been to Bible college or seminary know that, you know, the curriculum consists of 10 or 15 books every semester, all extra biblical books written by men telling you what the Bible says instead of taking the Bible and just simply learning it yourself with the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of other believers, other true born-again believers. And so that would mean we should ask ourselves, why do we even go to Bible college? Why do we put our kids in Bible college or seminary? It's ridiculous. You've got the King James Bible. Why not just stay home and read it? Are we too lazy? You know, you got to wonder here. All right. So again, you see these people that are going to seminary, walk into a, a coffee shop and they've got, you know, a knapsack full of five or 10 books they're going to study for their classes and the Bible sitting over to the side. And by the way, they don't even use the, the King James Bible, which is another huge red flag. They use these fake Bibles that they swear by, but are easily exposed as being completely corrupted. All right. So we're going to look at a few things Ken Reske writes about concerning the roots of Calvinism and Calvinism in general, he says, theological seminaries are centers for higher brainwashing. I absolutely concur on that. We're going to talk about how Ken talks about Calvin's book that he wrote or books supersede the Bible. And that's what you're going to find with Calvinists today. They don't care what the Bible says. Why? Because the writings of John Calvin and other phony reformers trump what the Word of God says. They don't care what the Bible says. I encourage you to cut them off after you've warned them once and twice, according to Titus 3.10, that after confronting a heretic one or two times, then you are to reject them if they don't repent. Jesus said, he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you're not of God. John 8, 47. So Jesus is saying that anybody who does not hear God's word and put it at his final divine authority is a heretic and they're not of God. John 8, 47. Memorize it. Also, Mr. Ken Risky speaks of Calvinism's reign of terror. That is riveting. And also, let's see, also all the people he, or some of the people he killed, the accounts of those people. Also, Calvin's margin notes and how they supersede scriptural text. Also, Calvin's sovereignty doctrine distorts the attributes of God. We're going to look at what Mr. Risky said about Calvin's predestination doctrine and how it distorts the character of God. And scripture proves that John Calvin was a false teacher who taught false doctrine. Doctrines, also pastors who preach Calvinism and how they have responded to what Mr. Ken Risky has noted and written. Notice Calvin's formal education was complete in 1527 when he was just 18 years old. According to the Catholics, he drifted, as we already noted. I think I've already read this part of it. Okay, so he bases his conversion, quote unquote, on his Roman Catholic baptism. John Calvin studied the voluminous writings of St. Augustine, the Roman Catholic Bishop of Hippo from 354 to 430 AD, much more so than those of Martin Luther, his contemporary, lived during the same time. In other words, Martin Luther did. Calvin is 
continually praising Augustine's work with numerous references and quotations from Augustine. And this is under the subtitle, Theological Seminaries are Centers of Higher Brainwashing. That's a fact. So Augustine was greatly influenced by the Gnostics, an early Christian sect, a cult, whose doctrine was heretical. Gnostics believed that mankind was wholly evil, that is, W-H- O-L-L-Y, and some sects even renounced marriage and procreation, that is, the Gnostic sects. They also believed in two gods, one evil and one good. Their teachings are believed to have influenced Augustine in the development of his theology of the, quote, total depravity, unquote, of mankind and his concept of God. For nine years, Augustine adhered to Manichaeism, a Persian dualistic philosophy proclaimed by Mani, 216 to 276 AD, in southern Babylonia or Iraq that taught a doctrine of total depravity. Again, that's the first of the five doctrines that Calvinism rests upon. The tulip, T, is total depravity. He continues, and the claim that they were the quote-unquote elect, let me read that sentence again, total depravity, that was a doctrine taught in this one cult philosophy that he was involved in, Augustine, Manichaeism. I'm sure I'm saying that incorrectly, but doing the best I can with that word. So they taught total depravity and they claimed that they were the elect. Augustine could not advance in his Manichaeism religion because of his sinful lifestyle. He had a reputation as a womanizer and a fornicator. Obviously, he was not born again. Augustine then turned to, uh, or he had backslidden, but I don't think he was ever born again. We have no record of that. Okay, so Augustine then turned to skepticism and was a attracted to the philosophy of Neoplatonism. He blended these beliefs, that sounds like uh, Plato, Platonism, the word Plato is right in the middle of it. He blended these beliefs with his later Gnostic and Christian teachings. Augustine's prolific writings were more strongly based by his previously obtained theology than on his detailed study of the Christian scriptures, the Bible. He used Christian scripture out of context when words or phrases could be adapted to match his theology. Augustine's teachings were in turn passed on to John Calvin through his extensive study of Augustine's writings, the most popular being the book titled Confessions, that is, Augustine's book called Confessions. It is very easy to follow the trail of John Calvin's theology from the pagan religion of Mani in Babylonia to St. Augustine and into his own writings in France and Geneva that distort the Word of God. Calvin's false doctrine came directly from Augustine. And again, let us be reminded that Augustine was a Catholic bishop and that John Calvin repeatedly claimed that his teachings, uh, and increasingly as his life went on, came from Augustine. So Calvin's book supersedes the Bible. Mr. Ken Reske, Calvin's famous letter to King Francis I was dated August 23rd, 1535. It served as a prologue to his book, Institutes of the Christian Religion, the first 
edition of which was written in March 1536, not in French but in Latin. Calvin's apology for lecturing the king was displayed as play cards posted all over the realm denouncing the Protestants as rebels. King Francis I did not read these pages, but if he had done so, he would have discovered in them a plea not for toleration, which Calvin utterly scorned, but for doing away with Catholicism in favor of the new gospel. Quote, there could be only one true church, therefore kings ought to make an utter end of popery, said the young theologian John Calvin. The second edition of Calvin's Institute was written in 1539. The first French translation was in 1541, etc. He continues, we know little of Calvin's previous activities, but because of a war between King Charles and King Francis, he settled his family affairs and reached Bale or Ballet by way of Geneva in 1536. He persuaded two of his brothers and two of his sisters to go. At Geneva, he persuaded his brothers and sisters to accept the Reformed. By the way, what needed to be Reformed? We already had the Bible. That's another reason why we shouldn't waste time on church history. So he convinced some of his siblings to adapt the Reformed views. At Geneva, that's Switzerland, the Swiss preacher Faure, then looking for help with his propaganda, besought Calvin with such vehemence or vehemency to stay and teach his the theologies that, as Calvin himself relates, he was terrified into submission. As a student, reclusive and new to public responsibilities, he, Calvin, may well have hesitated before plunging into the troubled waters of Geneva, then at the their stormiest period. Calvin had not introduced the legislative articles of Geneva. However, it was mainly by his influence that in January 1537, the articles were approved, which insisted on communion four times a year, set spies on delinquents, established a moral censorship, and punished the unruly with excommunication. There was to be a children's catechism, which he drew up, the articles caused a dispute and the city became divided into jurants who swore an oath to the articles and non-jurors who would not accept them. Questions had arisen with Bernie concerning the points of major dispute, but Calvin made the claim in Lausanne for the freedom of Geneva. Discourse ensued in Geneva, where the opposition began to be more obstinate. In 1537, the council exiled Farrell, Calvin, and the blind evangelist Coro from Geneva. Calvin complained of his poverty and ill health, but these did not prevent him from marrying Idolette de Bure, the widow of an Anabaptist who had been converted, or whom he had converted, the woman, I guess, the widow. Nothing more in is known of this woman except that she bore him a son who died at almost at birth in 1542 and that her own death took place in 1549. So here's the next section. Calvin's reign of terror. And Mr. Rieske writes, after some negotiation, Amy Perrin, 
Commissioner of Geneva persuaded Calvin to return, he did so, though unwillingly, on September of 1541. His entry was modest. Geneva was a church city-state of 15,000 people, and the church constitution now recognized, quote, pastors, doctors, elders, and deacons, but the supreme power was given to the magistrate John Calvin. So now John Calvin, having returned to Geneva, saints, is now being called the magistrate. As we read this, you're going to see why people call this vile animal, this demonic fraud and murderer, the Pope of Geneva, because he ruled over it with such hatred and wickedness. Notice in 1552, the council declared Calvin's, quote, Institute of the Christian Religion, that was his books, I believe, or book, might have had more than one part to it, or volume, I should say, declared it to be holy, quote, holy doctrine, which no man might might speak against, not the Bible, but John Calvin's Institutes of Christian Religion, volume. Thus, the state issued dogmatic decrees, the force of which had been anticipated earlier, as when Jacques Gruet, a known opponent of Calvin, was arrested, tortured for a month, and beheaded on July 26, 1547, for placing a letter in Calvin's pulpit, calling him a hypocrite. Wow, this sounds like stuff you would read in the Book of Martyrs, as many of you are familiar with, that is Fox's Book of Martyrs. And when you get a chance to read that, make sure you get the old unrevised edition because the Roman Catholic Church has got their wicked paws in there and has erased themselves from the history of so many martyrs of Jesus Christ in which they were the perpetrators. So there was a historian named Josephus who had has some very valuable history. Mr. Ken Reske continues, Gruet's book, so John Calvin had Gruet, this man named Jacques Gruet, murdered for daring to call him a hypocrite. Gruet's book was later found and burned along with his house while his wife was thrown out into the street to watch. Gruet's death was more highly criticized by far than the banishment of Castellio or the penalties inflicted on Balsic, men opposed to extreme views and discipline and doctrine who fell under suspicion as reactionary. Calvin did not shrink from his self-appointed task. Within five years, 58 sentences of death and 76 of exile, that means they sent them away. They were forbidden to be in the, the realm of Geneva where John Calvin ruled with an iron fist. He continues, besides numerous committals of the most eminent citizens to prison took place in Geneva, that is, under John Calvin's rule. The iron yoke could not be shaken off in 1555 under Amy Perrin. A revolt was attempted. No blood was shed, but Perrin lost the day and Calvin's theocracy triumphed. John Calvin had secured his grip on Geneva by defeating the very man who had invited him there, Ami Perrin, commissioner of Geneva. Okay, and it continues, John Calvin forced the citizens of Geneva to attend church services under a heavy threat of punishment. Since Calvinism, you see, that's totally 
totally against the Lord right there. God does not force anybody to serve him. They need him. He doesn't need them. He loves them and calls them to come to him. Jesus said, come unto me, but God never forces anyone. So we see this man to be absolutely under the control of demons as he forces everybody in Geneva, the town of Geneva, to go to church services with heavy threats. Continue, since Calvinism falsely teaches that God forces the elect to believe, it is no wonder that Calvin thought he could also force the citizens of Geneva to all become the elect. Not becoming one of the elect was punishable by death or expulsion from Geneva. Calvin exercised forced regeneration on the citizens of Geneva because that is what his theology teaches. Now, that is a strong case uh, and paragraph right there on this absolute monster. And you know, that's what the Catholic Church does. They, quote unquote, force their eighth graders, 12 years old. I went through this myself in Catholic school to go through what's called confirmation, where you supposedly become a Christian, but you really just converted to the Catholic Church officially. All right. So Mr. Ken continues, Michael Servetus, that's a name many of us know, Michael Servetus, a Spaniard physician, scientist, and Bible scholar. This man was very intelligent. Was born in Villanova in 1511. He was credited with the discovery of pulmonary circulation of the blood from the right chamber of the heart through the lungs and back to the left chamber of the heart. He was Calvin's longtime friend in the earlier resistance against the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Servetus, while living in Vienna, a historic city in southeastern France, angered Calvin by returning a copy of Calvin's writings, Institutes, with critical comments in the margin. In other words, he critiqued Calvin's book on the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Servetus was arrested by the Roman Catholic authorities on April 4th, but escaped April 7th, 1553. He traveled to Geneva, where he attended Calvin's Sunday preaching service on August 13th. Calvin promptly had Servetus arrested and charged with heresy for his disagreement with Calvin's theology. Boy, this is a guy you really want to follow, right? Anybody who follows this fraud has got a screw loose, got a serious issue. They're not right with God. This guy was a demon-possessed monster. He has Michael Servetus arrested for disagreeing with him. Uh, the 38 official charges included rejection of the Trinity and infant baptism. So notice Calvin believed in infant baptism. The Bible speaks nothing of it, and it is not biblical. You've got to know what you're doing when you first get saved, and then you choose to be water baptized. And by the way, infant baptism is like a cult pagan 